0: does God require of humans? Perfection. But since we're not perfect, how exactly can we fulfill God's requirement? We'll get a hint of the answer today. Thanks for tuning in to The Bible Brief. Today we're going to go a bit deeper into this law that God is giving the nation of Israel. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to note one important thing. This law code of over 600 rules is generally expressed in four books of the Bible, the end of the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I say this because as the law is expressed by God, there's also a concurrent narrative story. We're taking a break from that narrative for this episode to ensure that we have a general understanding of some of the important functions of the law. This will help launch the narrative forward and enhance the understanding of the narrative itself. Okay, so let's keep going. We left the last episode with a discussion of the Ten Commandments and made the observation that sins, like stealing or adultery, create stains upon the person who commits the sin and upon the reputation of God, who could appear to be overlooking sin. God could appear to be unjust and unrighteous if he just allowed this behavior to go on with no consequences. Well, in this episode, we're going to explore the means by which God allowed these sins to be dealt with so that a restoration could take place. A restoration where the sinner could be temporarily made clean from the stain of sin and where God's reputation could be protected. This reputation comes from God's holiness. And don't forget what we said about that word holy. It means something like totally, completely set apart and above, different and utterly unique. And part of this holiness is total moral righteousness and perfection. If sin goes unpunished and unaddressed, God's perfection gets a question mark attached to it. It makes people say, is God really holy and perfect? Well, in order to protect his holiness and his reputation, God prescribes a way to deal with sin. And this way is called the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was part of the law for the Israelites' worship of God and for life in the promised land of Canaan. In it, we see God's requirement on the people to sacrifice animals and produce to achieve the purpose of the system. We can think of the purpose as largely two things—to protect God's reputation and to allow for restored relationship. We've already said in prior episodes that sacrifices, at minimum, give honor to God and demonstrate dependence upon Him— But through this narrative, we come to see that the sacrifices also protect God's reputation because God is holy. He doesn't just ignore sin. His perfect moral righteousness can't do that. Instead, he demands that something take the punishment that sin deserves. And he allows for animals to be the sacrifices in place of human death. Punishment is transferred from the human who sinned to the animal who did not. This allows God's reputation of righteousness and justice to be maintained, while also allowing for the Israelites to draw near to God in relationship with Him. Okay, that was a lot. But here's what you should remember about the necessity of sacrifice. Sacrifices give honor to God, they show dependence upon God, they protect God's reputation, and they allow for restored relationship with God. Honor, dependence, reputation, and relationship. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a good list to get started with as we go through this system. Okay, so the system of sacrifices is basically made of two categories, worship sacrifices and sin sacrifices. Worship offerings or sacrifices were most often whole animals or grains with olive oil and salt. These offerings were to express faith in God, to honor God, and to celebrate relationship with God. To approach Him in worship, one of these offerings was generally required. You can think of these worship offerings as particularly focused on God's reputation. God was to be reverenced and respected by the people, and bringing a worship offering was a means to show God's worth and to give Him honor. In contrast, sin sacrifices were almost always animals, and these sacrifices have a special emphasis on the blood of the animal, cleansing from the defilement or impurity associated with sin. We've talked about this a little bit with the idea of sin staining a person. These sacrifices were to bring a person to a normal, clean state before God. Now let's get a little bit more into this. Blood, remember, is the signifier of life in the Bible. So essentially, when blood was sprinkled as part of a sacrifice, it was kind of like life covering over death that defiled a person. That's kind of an approximation you can use as we move forward. The stain of sin was being covered up by the blood of an animal instead of the blood of the sinner. Sprinkle the blood on the stain of sin, and the stain would be covered. Now, in a clean state, a worshiper could approach God in worship and not fear retribution or judgment by God. This concept we've been discussing is something that the Bible calls atonement. You can think of the act of atonement as the act of sin's stain being covered by the blood of an animal. And by virtue of this atonement covering, the sinner and God can come together again without the stain of sin separating the holiness of God from the unholiness of the sinner. And this atonement isn't a new concept. Do you remember what God did as soon as Adam and Eve exited the garden? He made a covering for them of animal skin. God shed the blood to cover Adam and Eve. This was the precursor to the explanation of atonement that we're finding here, but it's important to note that atonement is one of the oldest concepts in the Bible, that the blood of a sacrificed animal was used to cover over the sin of people. Now, we're not going to go through more of this system in this episode, but you should read it for yourself. A good place to get a sense of the complexity and nuance of the system is in the book of Leviticus, This book describes the function of the priests who would make these sacrifices before God on behalf of the other Israelites. And these priests came only from one of the 12 tribes of Israel called the tribe of Levi. Remember, the tribes originated with the 12 sons of Israel, and so there were 12 tribes. This was Levi. And this is why the book is called Leviticus. It's about the priests from the tribe of Levi and their duties. So God said that men from a particular tribe, should perform particular sacrifices, in particular ways, in particular seasons, and on particular days, for particular purposes. God gave the nation detailed rules for this sacrificial system that would protect his reputation and provide a means of restoration for sinners. One example of this is what is called the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would ritually sacrifice two animals— to cover over or atone for his sins and for the sins of all the people. This was one important day among many seasonal and other ritual sacrifices in the system. But I want to say one final note about this sacrificial system, something that the Bible points out more as the narrative unfolds. The restoration of sinners through innocent animal blood was temporary, because sinning again would stain again and would require blood again. Nothing in the system provided the means to stop sinning, to stop the thing that caused the stain. There was no blood that made the sinner unstainable again. It was simply a cycle of sin and blood. And as you read the Bible, sacrifices may become a tired theme to you, but don't let it. Every time you read about a sacrifice, you need to see the insufficiency of this sacrificial system to truly cleanse a person from the inside out. Human corruption was not solved by this system. The sacrifices in this law only dealt with the effects of human corruption. It's only later in the Bible that we see someone deal with the cause of human corruption. Okay, so we've discussed the means of the system, but we should also discuss the location of the sacrificial system. For Israel, sacrifices are largely to be done at a particular location, and that location is called the tabernacle. Now, you may not know this word, but this is simply the name of an elaborate tent that God had the Israelites set up according to exact specifications in the wilderness. It was in this tabernacle tent where God would meet his people, and where God would make his presence dwell in the earth. So we often also see it called the tent of meeting, this place where people would meet with God. Just like we saw God come down on Mount Sinai, it would be in this tent where God would put his presence after leaving Mount Sinai. This tent, the tabernacle, is the place where God dwelled among his people, who those sinners could approach God through the shedding of innocent blood. Life as an Israelite had a new structure given to it in this law from God. A structure that looked to the tabernacle as the center of Israelite life and sacrifices as the continual means necessary to draw near to God and worship. There's lots more to be said about the Law of Moses. We could do many, many more episodes just on this topic, but what you should take away from these last two episodes is largely this. God, who delivered the Israelites from slavery, is giving them a law at Mount Sinai. This law, with its basis in the Ten Commandments, is to govern their affairs in the land— It includes many requirements and stipulations, and it has a sacrificial system that allows for atonement covering of sin. If this law was followed, it would result in blessing, and if not followed, it would result in cursing and expulsion from the land. Unfortunately, in a preview of what's to come, the one who would become the high priest from the tribe of Levi, the one who would be tasked to uphold God's sacrificial system— commits an egregious sin just after the Ten Commandments are given. Next time, we'll discuss this sin and its ramifications for the future of Israel. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and click Donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.